Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast with headlines of the day from our correspondents around the world. I'm Sui. Coming up in this edition, the conflict between Israel and Palestine has so far killed over 4,100 people on both sides as Israel prepares for their next move. More world leaders have arrived in Beijing for the third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation. And Daniel Naboa has been declared as president-elect of Ecuador. We begin with the Israel-Palestine conflict. A week after the unprecedented attack by Hamas, Israel is gearing up for the next stage of the clash. The conflict so far has killed over 4,100 people on both sides. Meantime, Lebanon's Hezbollah and Israel have exchanged fire along their border. And mass evacuations are continuing in northern Gaza, despite humanitarian groups saying they have nowhere to go. Ongoing water and electricity shortages have also been worsening the crisis. John Gambrell has more from Jerusalem. That's the real question right now, is when the ground offensive is going to start. We've had the Israeli military in the last couple of days say that it was going to start soon, that it was going to involve air, sea, and land forces, but we haven't seen the start of it yet. Now, uh, there has been some reporting suggesting it might be because of weather. There was inclement weather in Jerusalem here where I am with rain, high winds. We did hear a fighter jet overhead, so they're continuing to fly combat operations. They're continuing these airstrikes, and meanwhile, there's also these uh, this back-and-forth barrage of fire that we've seen with Hezbollah. Over the over the last few hours, we've seen Hezbollah fire anti-tank missiles and rockets into Israel that killed at least one person and forced the Israelis to cordon off uh, up to four kilometers away from the border and tell those close to the border to hide in their safe rooms. Israel responded with artillery fire as well as an airstrike in Lebanon. We don't know exactly what happened with that airstrike. They have published some black-and-white footage of bombs dropping on targets, but we don't know where that was or when that was. So going forward, it's unclear whether this is going to open a regional conflict. Iran has made comments suggesting that it would come in if Israel goes ahead with this ground offensive. And that's why we've seen the United States put an aircraft carrier in the eastern Mediterranean and with another on the way. They're trying to back up Israel as this offensive looms. And it comes as Israel is has this siege on the Gaza Strip where they're stopping the supply of food, water, medicine, fuel, and electricity. That's left, every, that's left everyone there in the dark. And it's really just exacerbated this humanitarian crisis that we now see. Those who are stuck there say that they're trying to get water any way they can. Some are even trying to get just the tiniest droplets of water out of their water pipes. And some of this water, given the fact that the uh, plants are all shut down because there's no electricity, has uh, salt water in it. And some of it even has raw sewage in it, just making it an even more dangerous situation for the people. That was John Gambrell in Jerusalem. Hospitals in Gaza are in a dire situation due to the high number of casualties and a shortage of medical supplies. Many people in northern Gaza have decided to stay home in spite of the evacuation order. Nora Harazin reports from a local hospital in southern Gaza. I am uh, inside Shuhada Al-Aqsa Hospital, which is located in Deir al-Balah in uh, southern Gaza. And the body bags of tens of Palestinians that were killed uh, today during Israeli strikes on different areas around the uh, southern Gaza. And southern Gaza is basically where the Israeli army asked the Palestinians to evacuate from uh, northern Gaza and central Gaza city uh, too. And since this morning, we have been with 
witnessing uh, injuries, people killed, and the body bags are from people that were killed today. They are from Ghabayan family. It's basically a whole family. Uh, the, the home was destroyed while the people were inside uh, the home. We're talking about men, women, and also several uh, children from a Ghabayan family. Well, there is a number of people who have decided to stay in their homes in northern Gaza and also in central Gaza City because they do believe that this is the second Palestinian Nakba will they might leave their homes and not come back and became basically Palestinian uh, refugees. While there is a, also a very big number, hundreds of thousands of people who already left their homes and they are taking shelter in some uh, hospitals and schools and maybe relatives' homes here in uh, southern Gaza, in different uh, cities in southern Gaza, like Deir el-Balah, Nusayrat, Khan Yunus, Rafah. These are all cities are located in uh, southern Gaza. However, people now realize that basically nowhere is safe in Gaza because there is an ongoing Israeli attacks and airstrikes in uh, northern Gaza, in central Gaza city, and also in southern Gaza. Nora Harazin reporting from Gaza. Still in Asia, Sunday saw another powerful earthquake hitting Afghanistan. This came after strong tremors and aftershocks hit the same region a week ago. The Taliban government is calling for help from national and international organizations as he tries to support local reconstruction efforts. Zimmer Ali Abbasan reports from Herat. According to the authorities, more than 1,000 people died and more than 2,000 people were injured by the recent string of earthquakes in several districts of Herat province. Local authorities say hundreds of households were affected by the earthquake. In Herat province, in the Jan district, several villages were completely destroyed. The Herat provincial governor office says they are finalizing the surveys and are now working on specifying the appropriate areas to build new houses. But international support is extremely needed. The regional leadership of Herat province finished surveying the areas in close consultation with the local residents and generous Afghan businessmen. We are ready to build them suburban towns. According to the affected families and authorities in the Taliban-led government, temporary shelters and relief aid is important. But it cannot solve the problem as winter will be arriving soon. That was Zimri Ali Abbasan in Afghanistan. In China, more world leaders have arrived in Beijing to attend a third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation. Yu Yang has more. The airport in the Chinese capital city of Beijing has a very busy schedule today, with several heads of government arriving to attend the upcoming third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation. President of the Republic of Serbia, Mr. Alexander Vucic, have arrived in the Chinese capital to attend the event. A welcome ceremony has been held right here in the Chinese capital. And of course, Lao President Tonglun Sisley's and his wife Nali Sisley's, as well as the President of the Republic of Congo, that's Mr. Dan and Sasu Nasco have all arrived. And China and the country have carried out a number of cooperation projects under the Belt and Road Initiative. For example, such as the number one national highway, the over 500 kilometers highway is an important passage linking the Republic of Congo's capital and Buen Noir, the country's economic center. Well, meanwhile, we have also observed Papua New Guinea's Prime Minister James Murray together with his wife, also arrived in Beijing for the Grand Gathering on Tuesday and Wednesday. And PNG was the first Pacific Island country to sign the Memorandum of Understanding and Cooperation Plan with China under the Belt and Road Initiative. 
At the same time, the Cambodian Prime Minister Han Monet, together with his wife, have also arrived in Beijing. Han Monet visited China last month, actually, on his first official trip abroad since taking office in August. Many believe this visit demonstrates the warm relations between China and Cambodia. That was Yu Yang in Beijing. Turning to Europe, an exit poll shows Poland's ruling Law and Justice Party took a lead in Sunday's parliamentary elections, with 36.8 percent of the votes. The exit poll by global polling research firm Ipsos shows the party gained 200 seats in the lower house of parliament, short of a majority in the 460-seat chamber. Ayusha Mankovic has more from Warsaw. The polls have closed in Poland. Turnout figures showed that a record number of people voted. It is just an example of how people here consider these elections to be very important to them. Some of the voters we spoke with earlier on Sunday told us that for them these elections are like referendum about the future of country. On one side, they have the ruling PIS party, which advocates tougher immigration rules, fewer links with the EU, more independence in decision making, and stopping arms supplies to Ukraine. On the other side, the Civic Platform Party offers almost absolutely the opposite of the PIS party. They want to continue an unconditional arms supply to Ukraine, relax immigration rules, introduce more integration into the EU, and promote more civil liberties. But as opinion polls say, the PIS party has the advantage in these elections, and none of the parties would be able to win an absolute majority of 231 seats. In the lower house of the parliament, and the coalition would be inevitable. So the post-election mathematics and inter-party trading will, in the end, decide who will lead Poland in the next four years and in which direction. That was Ayuso Menkovic on the Polish parliamentary elections. In South America, presidential candidate Luisa Gonzalez has conceded to rival Daniel Noboa at the elections in Ecuador. 35-year-old Naboa is now on track to become the country's youngest president. Dan Collins has more from the national capital. Daniel Naboa is the 35-year-old heir to one of the wealthiest families in Ecuador, and the second candidate is a leftist lawyer, Luisa Gonzalez. Both candidates talk about how they want to combat the, this unprecedented spike in violent crime in the country.、Um, for example, they both pledged to take a hardline approach to security. Promise to militarize ports and airports to stem drug trafficking.、Uh, they have both come up with different ideas about how to do that, but they also differ on how to tackle the stagnating economy in the country and the rise in poverty and unemployment.、Uh, Naboa, for example, who calls himself the employment candidate, has pledged jobs for the young and that he will attract foreign investment and cut taxes. Ecuadorians in general are terrified of the. Rise in violent crime in the country, and they also want、uh, to, the, the candidates to tackle the problems of the economy, which is is not mo- not not moving forward, and also unemployment, which has reached highs and record highs in the country and hasn't seemed to have improved much uh, since uh, the lows of the COVID-19 pandemic. The outgoing president Guillermo Lasso in May、uh, dissolved Congress to avoid impeachment. That was Dan Collins reporting from Quito. Finally, in Oceania, Australians have rejected a proposal to change the country's constitution in a historic referendum over the weekend. Voters were asked if they wanted Indigenous people to be recognized in the constitution through the creation of a body that could advise the government. 
defeat is a blow for Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, who promised a referendum as part of his election campaign last year. Adam Hancock has this report from Sydney. This referendum was meant to unite Australians. Instead, it appears to have created more division. There are just under a million Indigenous people in this country, and the healing process could take a long time. We call on First Nations people to to come together first and and go through a, a you know a smoking ceremony that we do to ward off evil spirits and uh, heal people as they come into our country. That's Fred Hooper, who chairs the Murrawarri People's Council. He was one of the so-called progressive no voters. That's Indigenous Australians who wanted this referendum to fail. The process was flawed from the very beginning. The government should have gone to the people and they should have implemented a a truth-telling commission and a treaty commission and gave the Australian people the truth about what happened in this country. Australians were asked to decide if they wanted to change the constitution to recognise Indigenous people by creating a parliamentary advisory body called The Voice. The idea was rejected by all six Australian states. Paul Strangio is a professor of politics at Monash University. He thinks that many voters were left confused. The details of The Voice would be worked out in the parliamentary process once the referendum was passed. However, the no side capitalised on the lack of detail and to sow doubt and stoke fears. Supporters of The Voice claim that it would have benefited Indigenous people who remain the most disadvantaged group in Australia. They suffer from lower life expectancy and higher rates of suicide and imprisonment compared to non-Indigenous Australians. Sally was one voter who backed the referendum. We all think politicians need to do a better job of listening to the people and this is a mechanism for that to hopefully redress some of the systemic discrimination and disadvantage that Indigenous people have suffered in this country and unfortunately continue to suffer. As the dust settles on a divisive debate, Indigenous people like Fred Hooper are looking to the future. He thinks it's time for leaders to say sorry. That was Adam Hancock reporting. Recapping today's headlines, the conflict between Israel and Palestine had so far killed over 4,100 people on both sides. More world leaders have arrived in Beijing for the third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation. And Daniel Noboa has been declared as president-elect of Ecuador. That's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports, and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Sui. Thank you for listening.